Morning, and thank you for joining us today. It is Tuesday, March 15th. We're here with uh, my co-host, Pete Roquet, and an amazing guest, awesome friend of mine, Andre Hyen, um, with the uh, County of Jefferson. He is the supervising permit um, or building permit supervisor. I'm sorry, Andre. Um, oh. Also a certified chief building official, master code professional, and also certified sustainability professional. So lots of amazing things. But alongside that, Andre uh, brings forth a wealth of knowledge, lots of support with our building industry. I actually had the pleasure of meeting him a couple years back at uh, ABM. My very first time that I joined as a board shadow, very impressed with the work that he does as well as the ELMC and so today we're going to learn a little bit more about Andre who he is how he landed in this role in this industry and all the amazing things that make Andre who he is and also his contributions to our industry so with that Andre welcome thank you very much for having me it's uh, it's quite an honor to be here you guys are two of the best so thank you so much yeah, no, thank you very much. And and we're just as excited for you to be here. So we're going to dive right in. Andre, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you bet. So uh, I work for my hometown, actually in Colorado. And so Jefferson County is just west of Denver. Um, it's about 780-ish square miles and about half a million residents. Um, for those of you who kind of are familiar with Colorado or Denver, it's uh, that golden area with like the Coors Brewery and uh, Red Rocks, you know, some of the kind of landmarks to the west there as you get into the mountains. Um, so grew up here and uh, just really excited to, um, you know, be part of a profession that I think does a lot of good. Um, you know, uh, where I work is uh, geographically very diverse and, um, you know, we have uh, stuff to worry about with wildfires. We have stuff to worry about with, um, you know, being uh, a part of a city, the Denver metro area, you know, and making sure that, uh, you know, we have a lot of different interests, um, you know, represented in that. And so uh, I feel great about being able to work for my community in a capacity that, uh, you know, helps me keep people safe. Um, you know, certainly I've had friends and family that have lost houses and wildfires in Colorado, things like that. So, you know, with what I can do to try and uh, mitigate that risk and also teach people what they can do to keep themselves safe, things like that, um, has felt great. So it's been, it's been an awesome career that I kind of fell into and uh, loved it ever since. You know, when you, so, so when you say you fell into it, you know, we normally try to get the origin story on like, you know, uh, when you were a little kid, what did you, did you aspire to be a building official or, you know, working <laughs> at Jefferson County? So yeah. what, what kind of led you to into this industry? Just, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so uh, my family has historically been public servants. I had a grandfather that worked for the Department of Interior with the USGS for like 45 years. Um, my uncle was actually the chief of police in Denver. So it just kind of runs in our blood, uh, you know, to be part of that. So uh, I was going to school for uh, political science, actually at CU Boulder, just up the street from where I work now. And uh, I got a call um, and uh, I got uh, my brother actually, who was working at the city of Lakewood, um, was looking for extra temp roofing inspectors after a hailstorm. And it worked out perfect because uh, I was going to school, you know, three days a week uh, with college. So I could work four days a week doing that and uh, coming down to Lakewood, um, which was a little bit of a haul, but I was working under Bill Clayton, um, who is, uh, you know, awesome guy from Colorado, uh, works for Shems Coda now, um, but he was the building official down there back then and uh, you know taught me a lot about uh, the things you could do in this industry things like that and then my name got uh, passed around as I was graduating it was um, 
Uh, around 2012, I was actually kind of taking a break from school and, uh, you know, jobs were still kind of hard to find after the recession. And my name got passed over to Jeffco and um, got a call from the uh, senior inspector out here named uh, Mike Salazar. Um, he said, uh, hey, let's you know, have you come in, do an interview. And uh, we hit it off really well. He became one of the foremost mentors that I've ever had. I mean, just absolutely incredible guy. Um, he was kind of on the verge of retiring when I started and uh, just like a renaissance man. He was actually uh, working, uh, he was learning to be a luthier of all things in his spare time and just a cool dude with just lots of life story, you know, and things like that. And he really challenged me. To, uh, to get involved in the industry, um, got me on my path to get my first certification as a residential inspector, and then hire me on full time as a building inspector. Um, and that was actually uh, about 10 years ago this May, as a matter of fact, that all that happened. Wow. So um, since then, I was a building inspector in the field for about five years. Then I came in to run some parts of the office. And uh, that role's kind of grown to handling you know, more and more of our software implementations, uh, guiding some uh, training for our inspectors and contractors, things like that. So, yeah. That, that is very, very cool. And, and you're going to find us, y'all, on this conversation. We're so excited mm -hmm. to talk to Andre that Pete and I are going to stumble over each other because we just we just got to get all our questions in before we lose our Andre time. But <laughs> um, going back to, to what you said, mm -hmm. love to hear the story in the background and how you got started in your schooling. Um, and if I could unpack that a little bit more as you know andre we have our women leaders in code enforcement symposium next week mm -hmm. and a lot of what we do is um, bringing forth information in the form of mentorship and training for those that are looking to grow in the industry we are all inclusive so even though we are the women leaders in code enforcement group we do um pull in all of our new and up and coming talent and our existing ta existing talent, if you will. But I wanna, I wanna touch on your experience, how it felt when you first started going out in the field to do those roofing inspections. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what, that, what helped, what didn't help, some of the things mm -hmm. that you found were instrumental for you that helped mm -hmm. grow you aside from your mentorship. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so my family, I guess on my dad's side, um, they were craftsmen. Uh, they focused mostly on uh, fine carpentry, some interior design work, things like that. So I'd kind of grown up in the wood shop as a kid and uh, um, went to school just kind of for other stuff. Um, like I said, I had a bachelor's in political science and I'm actually working now on a master's in public administration. Um, so it was uh, kind of a unique place that I found where those skills kind of matched up. Um, you're absolutely right though. I was 22 as a building inspector. Actually, yeah, I was just barely turning 22 as a building inspector, you know, doing roofs and then kind of moving into some more stuff, structural, things like that. So definitely, I won't say my age was against me, but I had a lot of those discussions with folks of like, you know, kid, I've got boots older than you that are probably tougher too, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, it was, uh, you know, it was fine because I'd kind of grown up in that, uh, you know, in that line of work where, um, apprenticing was kind of normal, you know, kind of in the shop. I learned from my grandfather and my dad, and, you know, which is a rare thing these days anyway, you know, getting trades actually passed through a family doesn't happen the way that it used to. Um, so I feel pretty lucky to uh, to have had that experience. So I was kind of used to getting razzed and that sort of thing. It didn't bug me too much, um, but it definitely put the challenge on me to like basically have the credentials necessary to show like, hey, I'm going to know what I'm talking about. And so that was a big impetus for me to get my MCP. 
Um, so, you know, I came back frustrated from the field a few times and uh, talked to that mentor, you know, Mike Salazar, and uh, basically said, you know, what do I have to do? And he's like, well, yeah, you're the new kid on the block. It's going to happen to you over and over and over again. Um, you need to find your voice. You know, you need to get comfortable being able to tell people no and how to deal with things. Um, and uh, I won't say I have a knack for reading people, but uh, I got more and more comfortable being able to do that with, you know, some of these grizzled old contractors where they come in and say, aren't you a little young to be an inspector? I'm like, aren't you a little old to not know how to frame that? And they'd laugh about it. And we, you know, we built some rapport and we joke around about it, you know, and it became okay. Um, but then obviously some people are wound a little tight and you can't do that with them. You know, you're going to, your phone call is going to go to the boss if you try and pull that with the wrong person. You just got to, you know, get to know and get that, that rapport built so you can have those conversations and be direct and say, Hey man, I'm really sorry to do this, but uh, I understand you've been doing it this way for 20 years. It's been wrong for 19 of them, but we're going to get it right today. Um, and so that helped uh, a bunch. And then uh, I have to say, the team here at Jeffco was just super welcoming. You know, we had master electricians, master plumbers on staff, um, plans examiners. I've been doing it for 20 years. That all took time out of their schedule to teach me, you know, the ropes and how this works and uh, the stuff to know so you know you could have that that kind of foresight where if you know you walk a job well you can come to somebody and say hey you know i understand that it, it would be weird for me to write you a correction right now but at the same time if you miss putting emergency lights here here and here i'll be back at final and that's no good for either of us let's just deal with it now you know and i wouldn't have had that education if i didn't have good experienced people taking me under their uh, you know under their wing and teaching me that so, yeah, I would say it was a mix of hopefully some personal experience that I brought to the table. And then you bet those mentors that kind of shape those conversations. And then at the end of the day, you have to take some risks. You have to be willing to talk to people as a human being and say, like, hey, teach me how you did that. You know, I've never worked on this particular thing. So show me, show me, you know, what you were thinking. Show me how this works. Right, right. So, you know what, Andre, and it's, and it's funny because you're a young guy. I mean, we're pretty young. We're you know, we're, we're seeing like uh, exodus of, you know, retirees and all these people. And, you know, we're kind of in that generation gap where we got taught by the, uh, I, I would say by the, uh, uh, the, the uh, boomers. <laughs> we got, you know, and now, and now we're dealing with the millennials, or the, new, the newer generation coming in. And we're kind of like in the middle. So we got that mentorship of the old school pay your dues, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, treat people, you know, we're in a service mentality. And, you know, we are now the the mentors of tomorrow. And, you know, taking that position, you want an Emergent Leaders Council. This is something that, you know, that we have to embrace in our in our generational gap. Like, for example, Cecilia is working with the inclusivity and diversity with women leaders in code enforcement. It's, you know, the world's changing. The industry is changing. And we're on the forefront of that. And, you know, for us to have these young folks like yourself, you know, even though we're young, we bring a lot to the table because, we're, you know, we're bringing the IT in, we're, you know, which wasn't existing back then. We're bringing mm -hmm. these new, you know, ideas that somebody's like, hey, that's not going to work. I'm like, well, it doesn't work because you never tried it. You know, let's let, let's try it. And if we fail, we fail. We learn another way not to succeed. And I, I think it's very interesting that, you know, that you're coming with this, um, you know, this this mentality and it, it's just it's just a breath of fresh air you know just seeing you and all these young folks you know we, we see each other what we're doing and we're like in awe of each other you know 
Oh, yeah, man. I, absolutely. I love tuning into your guys' show because the way you guys discuss these issues is exactly right. I think it's things that uh, a lot of us in this in-between sort of generation um, have kind of preached in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I've taught a couple of classes on uh, the same issue of what is the building official of the future look like. And it's somebody that um, certainly I can say in my own jurisdiction, the skill sets needed to be successful in this line of work have really evolved and they're going to continue to evolve. Um, and same thing with the credentials necessary to be a building official or, you know, to run a department or things like that. You know, I've always said that, uh, you know, this job kind of bridges between blue collar and white collar work. Um, and you can get a lot of both on both sides of that. I really like that. You know, I, I live in Colorado. I love working outside. That's huge for me. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, you know, there's parts of this that you have to be able to come in, run the office, you know, talk to people about software adoptions and ask the right questions to make sure your team's going to be successful being able to use it and then being able to train your folks on it. You know, it takes that that intimate skill set and knowledge. And, uh, you know, you bet you uh you know, we grew up, you know, I still remember using a rotary phone as a kid and things like that and having to remember numbers and keep quarters in my pocket to make phone calls. You know, that was normal. Um, but at the same time, I know that I grew up in a generation where like cell phones and AOL and, you know, being able to, uh, you know, type out your, uh, you know, college applications, things like that, whatever it was, you know, was also normal. So you're right. It, it is, uh, you know, kind of a unique perspective that hopefully I think um, ICC had a lot of foresight in creating the Emerging Leaders Membership Council when it did and the whole Safety 2.0 program. Um, I think they deserve a lot of praise for being, uh, I almost want to say self-critical. Critical, you know, introspective enough to say like, hey, uh, if this is what the future looks like, the future needs to be at the table. Um, so I think they should be very proud of themselves. And I think it's been a success for that reason. So you bet. Uh, it's great to see professionals like yourselves driving the conversation. Thank you for that. I think Pete, you're muted, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dive right in before he dives right back. Well, hold on, I have to talk really fast, but I want to tell you I'm, I'm gonna throw Cecilia under the bus because she still has an AOL account. Just, you know what, Pete? Oh, yeah. I throw myself under the bus. So um, and and you know to touch on that, yes, it's rewarding to hear that someone still has an AOL account because I still have my AOL account. <laughs> but but that in a sense, it takes us back to those those moments in in our lives where we're growing up and trying to absorb everything in it and trying to change the world today, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know. I, I really liked a lot of the things that you said, um, specifically the the whole, hey, you've been doing this for 20, 20 years, 19 of them have been wrong, let's not do it that way anymore. Because it's so true, we get so set in our ways in this industry, especially with old school mentalities and no, no harm, no foul to them. It's just kind of the way that they've known to maneuver through the industry. But this is why it's so critical to have these new fresh perspectives come through and, and you know, uh, new secession planning for the future. And I think there is a vital component to consider. As Pete said, you know, we have this mass exodus that's looming over us of, you know, all that wealth of knowledge in the building industry that's going to be leaving. And it's up to, to us that, that are still here, that are growing in this industry to be able to plan ahead, to get some plans in place so that we start building up that, that workforce, if you will, for building industry leaders in every facet of the building department operations. So keeping that in mind, 
I want to dive into the Emerging Leaders Membership Council because I know that when I went to ABM, I was super impressed um, at the group, at the ELMC board, at what y'all were doing. And, and I remember telling Chris Bridges, I want to be a part of that. I, I want to know all the things. I want to know how I can help, how I can give back um, because it's so important. So I want to talk about um, the ELMC, if you can tell us, Andre, what that's all about, why it's so important, and why it's important to get involved with the ELMC. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Um, so I have the, uh, the honor and benefit of having been there in the room since it was first started, first floated to uh, the first group of shadows about creating this uh, program. Um, we sat in a room together. Uh, there was uh, about 10 of us at the time. Um, and uh, basically, uh, we were given a blank sheet of paper and said, go forth and do good, create a membership council. And we all looked at each other and went, what? And then they said, who wants to lead it? And everyone's hand shot up. Um, so they, they, they definitely picked the right group of people to jump in there with both feet and get something done. Um, and so what the ELMC, it's a membership council with ICC and membership councils are interest-based, uh, essentially policy advisors to the board. Um, there's other groups like the building membership council, which used to be the building officials membership council, um, sustainability, global, um, PMG, which is uh, plumbing, mechanical and gas. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a mix of these organizations here and they're meant to represent opportunities for you to, you know, learn about more of what you can do with ICC, guide conversations on topics and issues that you might bring some expertise to. And in our case, they wanted to facilitate one specifically for developing young leadership and bringing it in. Um, they were looking at the same thing. I'm sure you guys are referencing, you know, that National Institute of Building Sciences uh, survey um, back in 2014, where it was showing something like 70% of all existing building officials are set to retire within a 10 year time frame. And, you know, Lord only knows what COVID, you know, did to that for a lot of people in making that decision to retire. But I know that the transition's about here, you know, for you know, my office and some of the offices around me. So you bet we're at that position where we need to do everything we can to preserve that institutional knowledge that's about to leave the industry. Um, you know, you hear from these folks and it's amazing what you get to hear because the leaders of ICC that, you know, they're, they're running the show today were the same leaders that amalgamated the legacy organizations into what ICC became. And that fight, you know, that process meant quite a bit for shaping the culture of code uh, development, code enforcement and the built environment to this day. And, um, you know, being able to preserve the understanding of what it was like to be able to go through that process is part of the reason that I think ELMC was created is so they could uh, develop talent in ways that they could, you know, assign to future leaders. And you can see that right now, Ben Bradmore was a guy sitting right next to me in that same room when we started this whole thing and now he sits the board. Uh, John Hutchison has been with us for a few years now and he's running the uh, Residential Code Energy uh, Development Committee. Um, you know, that's uh, that's huge. You know, these are people doing great things. Yeah, I'm very proud to call these people colleagues. And uh, I think it stems from this desire to share that information. And sure, the battles that maybe the future leaders of ICC are gonna look a little different. We're not gonna be looking maybe as much as our domestic politics, you know, about keeping these organizations or, you know, reforming them, but rather questions about things like, you know, intellectual property abroad, you know, and uh, a more global presence. It's clearly the direction ICC wants to go. So, um, you know, they did a great job amalgamating these leaders and, uh, 
I think that um, what they did is uh, they got really good in ICC about being able to develop talent to be what I call quarterbacks, people that can run their department, you know, and help bring technical knowledge back and teach contractors, right? Really good at developing those skills. But the next thing they wanted to do is take a quarterback and turn them into a coach, turn them into the person that can then field the whole team, see the broader picture, help develop that raise the profile standard where we're talking to things outside of our normal bounds as code officials, right? And so I think that's exactly where their focus was. And I think that's what we've successfully started to create uh, with the LMC. Yeah, you know, and I, there's so much power to the words that you just said, Andre, because I, I remember feeling um, so excited to see the appointments of John, to see the appointments of uh, Ben into their positions, because the way we look at it as, as a group, right, is as a tribe, as a village is this is a win for everyone right this is this is us creating and enacting change and and showing that yes we have our future leaders and this is what they look like and this is what they do but even taking back to to your position as a supervisor and as a master code professional and diving into your own growth and self-development you are that future that's going to then invest into future leaders and that is that is i think where the rubber meets the road and that, yes, we have all these initiatives and, and we're so um, thankful for the ICC board for putting these forth um, for and challenging us to, to build on those, but also to diving in with a um, volunteer heart, right? With a servant mm -hmm. leadership, servant servant heart to, to make these grow and, and be successful and then also paying that forward. So I think there's, there's so much good that comes out of the ELMC that if y'all haven't had the opportunity to tune into the meetings, to join, I highly encourage you to look them up on ICC, you know, get, get in tune um, with the group, sign up, become a part of those meetings. If you can volunteer your time, you know, volunteers make the world go round. But in addition to that, it's mm -hmm. almost a two-way street. You mm -hmm. learn to volunteer your time and you also learn, right? You learn all the great things that come with it. No, you, you hit the nail on the head and I kind of, uh, I, I left part of your question hanging because you asked why is it so important and in my opinion, professional organizations like these, you're exactly right, the learning happens because you get to find passions that maybe you didn't know that you had and it's okay to fail because we are volunteers, you know, I have bitten off things that I know were impossible. You know, I, I know, you know, the goals were too lofty for what I was doing, but that's okay. The idea was to try and figure out if something worked and if it didn't, okay, we know not uh, how not to make that light bulb, right? And it's that same sort of thing. These folks that get involved, you know, they might feel uh, pressure or scared to uh, be an educator for the first time and write a class or, you know, something like that. But here in this environment, try it. And because you're a volunteer, you know, some things are going to work out, some things might not, but you have a group of supportive people that are going to help teach you and guide you. And at the end of the day, I've never met somebody who wants to, you know, poke phone at somebody's effort that's doing more than them. You know, the folks that get involved like that, you know, that 90% of life, 70% of life, whatever fraction you want to use is showing up. You know, that's a big part of it. You get to be part of that conversation and you get to learn, you get to teach, you get to try all these things and figure out what works for you. And maybe you'll find something you never knew that you were interested in and just fall in love with it. Right. That's so true. And you know what? I'll even add to that, that 
you look forward to the meetings because I know I do. I'm like, okay, when's our next meeting? <laughs> I don't want to miss it. Or you find yourself commuting and you're playing it on your on your iPhone and through your car because you want to make sure that you're you're in tune with what's going on with the meeting. So mm-hmm. it just, it becomes a pretty fundamental part of your life, especially if this is if this is your passion, right? And I mm-hmm. I got to go back to what you said. Mm-hmm. Even when you don't think that this is something that you could see yourself doing, it teaches you something new about yourself. Because then you're like, oh, my gosh, I never thought that I could tap into maybe, you know, growing in this area. I, I got to mm-hmm. tell you that when I went to ABM, I had no idea the ELMC existed. Mm-hmm. Um, I only knew ICC for certifications and books and training. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know all the other things that came with ICC. So the moment that that I discovered it, I was very excited about it because I thought, oh, my gosh, the, you know, this is this is real big changes, real um things that are so fundamental to the building industry globally globally, mm-hmm. that we can you know have a little bit to do with you know get involved make some changes have an opinion um and with that even the vote for your codes initiative right mm-hmm. getting the the younger professionals and even the professionals within the industry to go out there and vote for your codes learn mm-hmm. about your codes get involved with with testimony maybe mm-hmm. sign up for committees what do you think is the most essential part of that Sure. Um, Well, so I will kind of loop back to one of our earlier topics, which was preservation of institutional knowledge. You know, why is ICC such a cool thing? Well, it's a consensus built code. You actually get to go and get your voice heard. You get to speak on matters. Um, And so when we realized that uh, this new generation of code officials, not only did they have to learn the job, learn the technical aspects, they also needed to learn the value of the institution. Why do we do this? Why is it so cool to go to conference and to show up to the code hearings? And it's brain damage sometimes, spend 12 hours in that room, you know, and I've been there, I've done it, I've been to the microphone, I have done the studying beforehand and writing what I was gonna say, all of that. And uh, you bet it, it's extra work and you wonder like, why would somebody bite this off? Well, because it's one of the greatest opportunities for you to share your knowledge or technical experience on regulation, you know, which is unique. Not many people get to do that. And so the Vote for Your Codes initiative basically started as one of those crazy, way too ambitious cocktail napkin ideas. Myself and Hope Medina and a handful of other people were like, what if we just did a rock the vote sort of campaign? And, you know, said like, hey, let's get the vote out there. Let's get people involved. And we started it off from that, just a couple of us, a couple of laptops, and, you know, got to work on how we could draft some things up. And it started to it started to really grab traction because I think everybody agrees uh, that that's exactly why we're there. And it wasn't being discussed enough or at least not shared enough. It wasn't at the forefront of what we were doing. And uh, it certainly fit very well with the identity of the Emerging Leaders Membership Council. I think uh, our current chairwoman, Allison Cook has done a great job dry, making very clear that this is one of the things that she wants to see represented and growing, uh, you know, in uh, in this particular side of uh, ICC. And so um, sustainability had a similar sort of uh, desire for it where they wanted participation on the energy code and code officials, you know, spending the time with it. And so we took a a stance that we wanted it to be a peer to peer initiative. This wasn't ICC telling you, hey, you need to go vote, you need to go participate. This was a challenge from one sitting supervising building official to another. Hey, how many of your folks are actually participating? I bet I can get mine to do it. Can you?
right? <laughs> that, that became the challenge. And it's, uh, it's really grown since then. And um, we've looked at some amazing stuff. We've gotten more involvement and help with the process to be able to build this. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we follow some very clear rules and guidelines about the way we discuss this. We don't tell people how to vote. You know, it's not our role to be able to say, hey, you need to think this way about this. That's never our idea. Nor do we ask people to uh, opine or vote on things that they don't feel comfortable with. You know, if you just want to listen to the debate on this and track the conversation so you learn for next time, that's great. That's the step in the right direction. So you can become a better code official and bring that back to your jurisdiction. Um, so, you know, taking advantage of that process is really what it comes down to. And we've expanded that to, like you said, not only is it about just, uh, you know, voting on your codes, testifying on your codes, tracking the conversation. Now it's about, we got to get the young professionals involved on the code action committees, on the code development committees, being part of that conversation and learning from those people that have sat them for a long time. Um, you know, I know that you've been able to have that experience, you know, and um, it's, uh, it, it's absolutely wonderful to see so many folks that are now getting into that side of it where they're speaking on behalf of their experience, their jurisdiction, you know, their needs out of the code book and sharing that with the rest of the community. So we're hoping to continue to expand that and make it its own thing till uh, every chapter, every region is asking each other, what are you doing for Vote for Your Codes this year? It's just as big as Building Safety Month. You know, that's the goal. And it becomes its own engine, its own driver for everybody to get involved. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's great. I think it's a great challenge because it does it does ruffle the the feathers of other departments like, all right, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do better than you. And but it really gets that mindset going and that thought process and the involvement, which is so fundamental. Um, you know, I gotta tell you, Andre, that how many times have we heard in our industry, right, from, from different folks, well, I don't agree with this code section or I, I don't know why that code section was there. And mm -hmm. I always say well, you know, this is your perfect opportunity to get involved. This oh, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it, let's get involved. Let's, you know, sign up for the committee uh, um, action hearings, you know, get involved with voting for your codes. If you don't like something, you know, speak your mind. You know, you're, you're out there enforcing or doing the plan check reviews or doing the construction, the new construction components of it, whatever it may be, whatever role you play. If there's mm -hmm. something out there that you feel needs to be changed, this is your perfect opportunity to do so. Um, and, you know, they, ICC makes it so so easy to get involved with that. I mean, it's, you know, you want to be a part of it? Come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's get it done. So I think that that is uh, one of the things that I learned in getting involved with the com uh, committee action hearings was, okay, I love the IPMC. It's my jam as a code uh, regulator. Um, I I'm a big fan of the International Property Maintenance Code, and I always say that that is the specific model code for code enforcement officers that was so needed for a very long time. And, um, you know, if there's things in there that I feel need to change or need to improve, then why not get involved? Why not have a voice? Why not, why not put it out there and see what, what changes we can make? And it also provides a good deliberation, so good back and forth, you know, with your colleagues. Because someone, let's say, in Colorado may look at something different than somebody in California, than somebody in Nevada or Texas. But mm -hmm. it gives perspective of, oh, okay, I, I'm looking at it a different way. Got it. I, I Now I know your point and where you're coming from. So. Mm -hmm. it, really draws in that perspective nationwide as to how we all use our code, even though the essence and the intent are, are the same, right? But it really provides us that opportunity. Um, in addition to that, 
The ELMC, as I've said in some of the meetings or most of the meetings, they always have someone, a representative from the ELMC who also participates in other membership councils. And there's always an update. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that was an idea that actually came under um, Chair Bren Be uh, Ben Bredmore, who uh, came before me directly, um, and uh, he focused on creating these liaison positions. Um, at the same time, the uh, Building Membership Council also created a continuity and outreach committee, and their job was to help consolidate what was going on, because what we found is that there was, there was a lot of passion and a lot of drive, and sometimes that meant duplicative projects or places where you could tap in with other places. You know, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, this vote for your codes thing has been, you know, a huge push with uh, sustainability membership council. We've really considered it a joint affair. And simultaneously, we realized, well, there's strength and power in us being able to do this stuff together and share, you know, what it is that we've been working on, you know, what's failed and what's hap what hasn't, you know. Um, for instance, the uh, the raise the profile, you know, idea has been floating around through membership councils since ICC was created. And uh, by no means is it wrong, you know, to, to take that idea and play around with it. But it was so great to then hear, you know, from people who had been working on it for 20 plus years, you know, we tried that, it didn't work very well, or we tried that and it was really successful, but then it kind of, you know, maybe died off or that person that was in charge of it stepped away, you know, so you could see history was to pick things back up, some new things, um, and get that involvement, get it sharing. So uh, I think Ben did a phenomenal job with getting that uh, outlined. And so you're absolutely right. Now we have these assignments and vice versa. People are now uh, assigned to us as well, where they come back and give a report to us, um, letting us know, hey, this is what's going on with Sustainability Council this month. Um, you know, this is what we're going to be working on. And it just gives that ability, you know, to go one step further and in tapping into what each other is doing. You know, ICC is a big organization. It's a big ship to steer. And so that can mean that, uh, you know, there are things that are really similar happening on one side that are then happening on another. And if you can combine that, right. um, it makes life so much easier for you to get things done, not have to reinvent the wheel. And so it was a matter of tapping into sort of that almost social networking. It was really yeah. just building that level of, uh, uh, of communication between each other. And I think it's been a real success. Right, right, and that's that's the key way you said, not reinventing, but really building building upon, right? Making mm -hmm. sure that we're continuing to build, fine tuning, streamlining, making it better, more robust and stronger. Um, Andre, can you speak a little bit also on the Safety 2.0 initiative and how the ELMC may be involved with that? You bet. So um, the Safety 2.0 initiative is a big conglomeration of different ideas. And uh, right now, the person to talk to about that is Maddie with ICC. Um, she is absolutely phenomenal. She's the director for that. And um, she's been uh, just phenomenal to work with on some of this stuff. Um, the idea is that they wanted to make it clear how to you know, gain a career path in this field. Um, I'm sure some of you may be familiar with the infographics that were posted with ICC on you know, becoming a permit tech, you know, what certs, what direction, who to talk to, how would you go about doing that, how to become a building inspector. These were some of the ideas that came out of that to, to make those resources easier to show at things like career fairs. You know, I could absolutely see those kind of handouts going out and being successful and, you know, and drawing people in. It also constituted the creation of our own membership council with the LMC. We're part of that umbrella of Safety 2.0. Um, it's the, uh, you know, um, military families program uh, that ICC has to help bring veterans back and give them training, uh, you know, on uh, code enforcement issues 
or uh, you know, building and construction inspection issues, so that way they might be able to find a career here, um, you know, and find uh, find traction with that. Um, it's got the uh, technical training program, which is high schools and colleges, and uh, you know, raising that profile of what we do, sharing that part that, hey, you know, you can be a carpenter, you can also be a building inspector, you know, and sharing that just as equally inside of a trade school um, or at a technical college um, or even at a university level. I don't know, you know, I've got a great friend uh, named Ryan. He he works for uh, Populous Architects, which specializes in uh, you know big stadiums, big things like that. And uh, he calls me every once in a while with a code question, like, "Can we do this?" Um, and uh, same kind of thing, you know. It, it's uh, one of those things that you pointed out, like, "Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of discussion on building codes," you know, during my time with my degree. So you bet, you know, having those. Uh, those opportunities to share that information with each other helps a bunch. And so ICC basically put this umbrella together of how do we do these outreach programs and how do we build new members through these outreach programs. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a big component of, I think, the future of ICC. It's something that Maddie has taken charge of and done a lot of growth and development with. Um, and I see it becoming more and more a central and pivotal part of what's discussed in leadership. So absolutely, it's uh, it's a big thing to get involved with. And um, by all means, you know, jump in with both feet. They've got a great web page out now specifically just for Safety 2.0. So you can see a little bit more of this amalgamated together rather than seeing these individual programs float around. N another success for Maddie, in my opinion. Um, and I can't wait to see it grow more. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. It's always really great to hear all the great stuff that's coming down the pipeline, specifically for the growth of the building industry. Um, as we spoke about the succession planning, so that it's always really great because even us, you know, we have we have our kids, right? And mm -hmm. um, I think there's an important part of an important element of giving them options, even as they're growing. Um, when you and I, Andre, were growing up, we never really sat and, and thought, "I'm going to grow up and be a code official or a, a code officer or a building inspector," right? That wasn't something that was necessarily talked about mm. uh, a lot of it was heightened or, or highlighted as you know a doctor a lawyer a fireman mm. a police officer no shade on those respective fields they're they're great fields but we never really talked about the construction or the building industry mm. and i think that that right there is also a fundamental part of let's talk about that a little bit more let's talk about the accessibility component to to the folks in areas that perhaps may not have the means to go to a college a university or may think, you know, why not be in construction? Why not build houses? Mm -hmm. Why not do architecture or engineering or, mm -hmm. or be out in the field inspecting? You know, why isn't that an option? Why do we not talk about that more? So I think that that right mm -hmm. there is part of what we're working so hard to do is to bring forth, you know, that particular opportunity to front and center so that folks know that, yes, it's there, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's an awareness to it. Absolutely, Cece. I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. I was on track to be a lawyer. Um, you know, I was going to school for political science. I uh, at, did debate in high school, mock trial in high school. I went to college on scholarships from doing those things. I was on the competitive team at CU. You know, that was very much my direction. And then, you know, I basically pivoted and realized, you know, that's not the way I want to take my life. And I want to do something in a different direction that's a little bit more direct with people and helps them, you know, in, in a different way. And uh, you bet. Um, I don't think enough of that is shared. I think that we definitely 
uh, came from a generation where, like you said, you know, success had to be measurable. It had to be, you know, good grades. It had to be going to a good college, a prestigious university, getting uh, X amount of dollars in debt, you know, all of those things. And uh, more and more, you know, I'm glad people are questioning that as the norm and seeing alternatives, not as alternatives, but just, you know, different directions. It's a spectrum of what you want to do. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not just a bar graph. It's not just how successful were you. It's how happy were you and what you were doing. Did you feel fulfilled helping your community? You know, and I certainly feel that I get that out of what I do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's key. I think you worded it a lot better than I did. Um, and I appreciate that because it's not so much about, oh, hey, by the way, if you can't do these things, there's always a building industry. But really, it's no, there's a building industry. Mm -hmm. um, let me throw out Building Safety 365, right? We have homes, we have buildings that you're safe in. We, we mm -hmm. have those there because there are codes out there. There's folks out there that are making sure that you're living in a safe building, that are, that are making sure that that building's constructed safely enough and up to code so that you know it sustains things such as you know maybe a disaster or fire or it doesn't become as impacted as it would be um, you know with old types of constructions if you will and we look at moderni modernizing the, the construction field as well and the different um, elements that go into construction itself you know all the different components of structural engineering and things like that I mean there's so much that goes into it that it's it's always kind of um, you know, sitting on the back burner. Oh yeah, there's there's those guys. But wait a minute, we all go home to a home, right? <laughs> we we all have a room. I mean, we work in buildings. We we live in buildings. I mean, it's such a fundamental component of of our lives. And why not bring that front and center? Yeah. Oh, you bet. And like, not only like, first of all, everything you just said and more. Um, you know, building codes, in my opinion, and this is a little bit of a hot take, they're built on the concept of social justice. You know, the Triangle Washer Factory Fire is typically heralded as the reason that we created codes in the United States. And it's cited often that, you know, 100 and I think it was 12 or so people died. Well, 104 of them, I think it was, um, might be putting the numbers, were you know, Young women of working class family, you know, that uh, exactly who you think would have been a seamstress in early 19 or yeah, 1900s America, um, you know, and uh, we as a society said never again. Right. We, we should prevent this from happening. You know, um, we truly found a place where we tackle some of the most important issues facing America today, issues of climate change. Right. And the way the built environment can decrease, you know, our carbon footprint um, and increase our resilience, you know, to, uh, you know, the changing climate, changing weather, changing storms, rising seas, you know, um, fire safety, you know, another big one is the climate gets drier. You know, I know that I live in essentially a tinderbox over here. And so doing what we can to help mitigate that risk is huge. So we, you know, work at this amazingly dynamic crossroads where we get to impact these huge issues and it's barely considered, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so diving into that, what would you say, Andre, mm -hmm. what would you say the importance of mentorship? Um, how would you say the importance of mentorship plays a vital role in our industry? Oh, well, that's that's a big question. Um, you know, I think that uh, first and foremost, you know, we've already talked about the institutional knowledge. We've talked about being able to pass along that that information. I think as mentors for us forward, um, you know, being able to share that with the next group of people, like you said, you know, it, it's not that it is. Well, if you can do this, it's the building, you know, building safety industry or construction industry. It is. No.
construction industry is playing a pivotal role in able to sing that song, bring that to people and explain that we need to look at the world in maybe a different, you know, different way than we have previously. You know, things are changing. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure, obviously, that we're not in the same position in 20 or 30 years when we're all looking to retire, that we're not looking for that next group of young talent, but we've kept this conversation going regularly, um, that we've gone the extra mile to engage those new kids, you know, bring them in and say, hey, if you want to change the world, this is a good place to do it, you know? Uh, is Does it look necessarily in the outside is, you know, sometimes the most exciting or sexy thing in the world. No, not always. But at the same time, the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of reality in what we work in um, that's going to change people's lives. Uh, I also think, um, you know, that we have a responsibility to diversify our own skill sets. I think that uh, because we were pushed in such a direction about, you know, hey, gra grades and education and all of that, I think we're very attuned to ideas of lifelong learning. And that undermines that old idea of, hey, we've been doing this way for 20, 30 years and it's good enough for government work. We don't need to change anything. I think we like to question that convention and say, how do we improve these processes? And I think that is a lot more inviting to a lot more people and a much more diverse group of people. I think that's evident with ELMC and looking at leaders like yourselves, you know, we bring more people of color, more women into the fold with, you know, these issues, um, specifically because they are more attractive, uh, you know, professional paths than they used to be. And I think that's exactly part of the reason why I think that's part of our responsibility. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I got to say, we have to give Mike Salazar a big shout out because he was a big component of your journey as your mentor. Um, and I think that he also helped you become who you are and that you're now paying that forward as a mentor yourself. Um, there's a cool quote that I really enjoy that says a mentor is not someone who walks ahead of you to show you how they did it, but rather a mentor walks alongside you to show you what you can do. And that right there is why we do what we do. That right there is why so many hours are invested in volunteer work to help push forward, promote, and raise the profile of what we do in this industry and to really build um, that future workforce within within our uh, building safety industry. Um, I want to go back to some things that you said because I always like to highlight a few things that I pick up from our conversation. So you said something at the beginning, Andre, about taking risks. Mm -hmm. Taking risks is so important. The risks come in the form of being uncomfortable, it, it's almost, if I, if I could um, compare it to maybe a caterpillar, right? Mm -hmm. Being uncomfortable, you're growing, you're kind of coming out of your cocoon, you're, you're spreading mm -hmm. your wings, you know, you're learning a new way of doing things, flying out into the world. It's not always easy, it's mm -hmm. not always comfortable, but the end result is always great. And so when you take those risks, you'll learn how to dive into areas that perhaps you didn't know you could tap into. You unlock the potential that you didn't know you had, and you solidify the relationship with your mentor that becomes a mentor for life. Mm -hmm. And that is the most rewarding part. And in addition to that, the art of wordplay, I always say that, you know, in, in our field, we have to master the art of wordplay. As you mentioned, Andre, Every interaction we have is going to be different and we have to learn how to be chameleons in this field. You know, some interactions we can joke around and razz each other here and there and others are going to be a little bit more fine tuned, mm -hmm. but we still need to learn how to, you know, master the art of wordplay because that is what is essentially going to help us maneuver through our building industry um, journey. 
And in addition to that, get involved. How do we get involved with the ELMC? How do how does one apply to be a board member? How does one apply to get involved with it with um, being a volunteer? Who do they reach out to? Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, visit our webpage. You can sign up there um, to be part of the conversation, receive emails about our uh, uh, our meetings, things like that. Um, now. I won't be the first one to say that sometimes that's been hit and miss. So my email is literally on that page. So is Allison, so is John, so is Coles, so is Jacinda's. I mean, we have an amazing board. Okay, Kevin, you will find all of us listed there with our contact information. Email me. I will take 20 minutes, whatever you want, you know, cup of coffee. We can sit down. I can tell you, you know, everything there is to know about who to talk to about this. Um, and our staff liaison, Rick Hoffey, has been absolutely amazing. So, you know, you have any issues with that, uh, his email is there as well. Um, and quite frankly, all of ICC's staff, their GR staff, their publication staff, will always try and push you in the right direction, get you contacted to the right people. But yeah, if you're looking to get involved and you're looking to reach out to somebody, by all means, use those links. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, we try and post as regularly as we can. Um, John runs a really good Friday funny occasion, um, and we usually try to do a good job of getting stuff out uh, during our conferences. So you'll see a lot of us uh, you know, coming up here in the next uh, in the next week um, in Rochester, um, and then later in the year in Kentucky. Um, so you know, take advantage of those people and those opportunities, and you will find somebody uh, that's interested in mentoring you about this. Um, I can proudly say that uh, you know. ICCGR staff have now gotten used to basically sending people our way and saying, hey guys, you know, there's a couple of new folks in this end of town. Is there one of you that might be willing to talk to them? And, you know, we hop on Facebook, you know, we email some people. I just got off the phone with a guy not that long ago that was wondering, you know, how do I take my first test? You know, how, who do I talk to? I got him hooked up with uh, Kevin McCosker and uh, some of the folks in uh, um, Las Vegas and uh, the Las Vegas chapter out there, which are fantastic and amazing people. Um, you know, walked him through buying some stuff off the ICC site so he could do his studies, you know, and I've checked in with him regularly and I think he's going to do great. You know, so I think you'll just find a lot of support, um, you know, and uh, a lot of focus on how you can develop and grow. And uh, I got to say, Cece, every time that you do a recap like that, I learned something new from you. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of people would say the same thing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you know, you know, Andre, we're getting down to the wire here, but I definitely don't want to end it on that note all on its own. Um, so yes, the most approachable group of people you will ever meet, the ELMC, if you see them at any training, whether it's ABM, whether it's your local chapter trainings, go up, say hi, come out of that comfort zone. They're never going to turn you away. They're going to be like, hey, how are you? Make those connections, solidify those connections, latch on. Um, I, you know, I learned that a lot from just my interactions. And also, you know, when I got myself involved with the ELMC, I felt very comfortable doing so. I never felt like I was an outsider. I really like that you brought up the Friday Funny because that's truly who they are. They are, they're, they're serious about and passionate about the profession, but they also are very much human. Just like each one of us you know we we want to be able to have a little element of fun in what we do um so any last parting words that you would like to share with the world any words of encouragement anything that you think would be fundamental for those that are listening to us today you bet um well first and foremost go on the world and do good whatever you want to do try to be the best at it that you can be and i think that if uh 
uh, if you focus on that, you know, I steal words from Ron Swanson when I hire people, which is be on time, be honest and do your best. If you do those things, then really everything else tends to fall into place, you know, show up, be involved, be part of the conversation, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing. But if, you, if you're looking at this industry or you're looking at uh, professionals like CC here, like Pete, you know, amazing people that are doing a lot of good with their time, truly. Um, it's important to just realize that that's just it. You know, um, you get eight hours a day to work, typically. You know, I put in 10, you know, four, four tens, but hey, whatever. You get eight hours a day to work, you get eight hours a day to sleep, and you get eight hours to decide what kind of human being you're going to be for the rest of your life. Yes. So take advantage of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. There's always time. There's always time. You know, we always make an excuse of, I don't have time. There's always time. Yes. <laughs> you can find the little wedges of time. So with that, thank you so much, Andre. It's been such a pleasure to connect with you. Um, and thank you so much for, for taking some time to hang out with us. Um, Jefferson County is very lucky to have you there. And um, we look forward to all the additional amazing things that you're going to do in your own professional journey, but also a part of the ELMC and in the future of ICC, because I'm pretty sure there's more of Andre um, high end that we're going to see. So very excited for that. Thank you, friends, with that. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our show. Thank you, Cece. It's been an honor. Likewise. Thank you, too, Andre. <laughs> Let's see.